Hey, Tony, thanks for picking me up. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I'm looking forward to another road trip. Me too, me too. Don't you notice anything different? Mm, oh my gosh. Is that a record player in the Wayback Music Machine? Yeah, it's an in-dash record player. Can you believe it? Oh my gosh, this is brilliant. I love it. It's fantastic. That's I haven't seen one of those since 55. I know. I was at a flea market and I found one. And I know a guy and he installed it for me. Like... <laughs> It even came with a couple of records. Do you want to do you want to listen to one before we uh, do our trip? Absolutely. What'd you get? Well, I've got. It only came with two. We can either listen to uh, Mitch Miller or uh, Pat Boone. So, uh, what do you want to listen to? Well, Pat Boone's got real soul, man. So I think we need to go with Pat Boone. Okay, let's listen to some Pat Boone. I'm putting it on. Yay. Well, that was terrible. Um, do you think I could get a refund? I, I hope so, but I'm just worried about the Pat Boone record. Yeah, it's pretty scratched, but uh, <laughs> maybe we won't be listening to uh, records in the in the car today. But uh, I still like to go on a road trip, wouldn't you? I'm ready. I'm oh. ready. All right, let's go. Maps. Check. Snacks. Double check. Tunes. Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. You know, believe it or not, someone actually thought it was a good idea to put a record player in a car. Well, I mean, what could go wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what could go right? <laughs> exactly, as uh, as we just uh, heard. But, uh, yeah, in 1955, the uh, Chrysler Corporation premiered the first in-dash turntable. And uh, I think we should head back because that's... Uh, notable event or maybe notorious event i don't know however you want to think about it but uh, do you want to go back to october 12th 1955 and check out this story in so many ways <laughs> all right let's do it we'll punch it in and uh, we're off well here we are it's october the 12th 1955 and the Chrysler Corporation has just unveiled their high-fidelity record players for their 1956 lineup of cars. And uh, what an interesting little record unit this is, isn't it? It's just tiny. It's only about four inches high, and it's less than a foot wide. And it just mounts right under the instrument panel. And that's how they did it back in uh, 55 for the 56 model year. But uh, they couldn't use regular records, I'm assuming, could they? Well, you know, the funny thing is, uh, Chryslers have always been known to have good suspensions. <laughs> <laughs> You've ever owned a Chrysler? You're laughing right now. No, that's right. <laughs> no, they were they were seven inch, so they were the size of singles, but they they rotated. You know, most singles are forty five RPM, or albums are thirty three and a third. These rotated at sixteen and two thirds RPM. Man, that is slow. And it, and the records required three times the number of grooves per inch. You know, which is which is very different, you know, than what we were used to. 
And I'm wondering, like that, you know, that whole ses- that whole setup seems doomed to failure from the start. And and these things didn't last very long. I mean, I think they expired them in 1959, didn't they? Well, and, and did you read in the notes? One of the funny reasons, one of the reasons, was due to poor reliability in high. <laughs> I can't say this without laughing. High warranty costs. Well, I'm Can sure you imagine every single skipping. unit, every single unit would have had warranty costs. <laughs> yeah, but spinning at 16 and two thirds RPM, and not only were they uh, a unique sized record, but the availability of records would have been an issue as well. Um, I'm assuming you could only buy them at the dealership, right? You wouldn't be able to go down to your local record store and and pick up a, you know, a car a record to play on your. Uh, car-mounted turntable. Well, that was another problem, right? It was, the, the, there wasn't a whole lot of variety. And in fact, at one point, they were just making almost talking book spoken records. I mean, you know, it just seemed really kind of odd what they they chose to press. And and you know what, Tony? Those records are quite valuable now because there wasn't many made. Oh, I imagine you know? they would be valuable, yeah. And uh, I, supposedly, uh, amongst collectors of old cars, there's quite a few of these units still around. You know, I, that would be—I'd love to see one actually in person. You know, because we always, of course, the the Wayback Music Machine is virtual. Everybody knows that, but I would love to see one of these things in person and and see how you would. I'm assuming the the needle must have been automatic, right? Like you wouldn't <laughs> drop it yourself while you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to the track three. That's right. <laughs> like I just it would have to be, and and the needle must have weighed a ton. Oh, for sure, just to stay down. And but I'm wondering how they they would have tested these things, and and would they not have seen the problems right away? <laughs> I remember. The early CD things you could plug into your cars before they put them in the dashboard, and they skipped like mad too. You know, you plug it into your car and you're driving, you hit a bump of the CD, you'd be, you know, go from track three to track eight, you know? Well, that's right. I had an original Discman, actually, when the first model came out, and you couldn't even walk with that thing on <laughs> without it skipping. <laughs> so I can only imagine what a turntable uh, must have been like, but... They tried it again, though, didn't they? Someone else, was it Chrysler or who tried it? Nineteen sixty-one. But they made a deal with. So the first one they did it in cooperation with, I believe, uh, Columbia Sony, which is now Sony. But then they went to RCA, and um, they they partnered with RCA Victor, and they formed. They they had something called the AP One, and. Um, it was developed by CBS Laboratories, but it was put it through RCA, and it didn't work either. So by 61, they just scrapped the whole thing, right? Well, I'm sure. I mean, it would have been almost impossible. I can't imagine how you could ever get a, a turntable to work in a, in a moving vehicle. But uh, interesting experiment nonetheless. You know, a cool idea, of course. Somebody somebody thought, hey, you know, have your music and, and take it with you. And... Um, I would guess the rationale would also be 1955. You you wouldn't always be guaranteed a radio station like you are now when you're driving either, would you? No, and the radio pickup in those old cars was not always that great anyways. They hadn't perfected that technology where, I mean, I remember, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm more than you, but you may remember that, you know, if you're driving, AM radio would cut in and out depending on the weather, going under a bridge, um, it, the different things would affect it. Even today, I have Sirius Radio, 
and every single time I drive through downtown Toronto, it cuts out for because of the, the height of the buildings. Honestly, every time. Oh wow! And um, now there's a legend around this uh, turntable. The chief designer was a guy named Peter Goldmark, and um, I don't know if there's any truth to this or not, but uh, it was he created it supposedly as a reaction to the fact that rock and roll was taking over the radio airwaves, and he wanted uh, an option for the civilized traveler. Whether or not that's true, it's still a great story, eh? <laughs> Sounds like he designed it for my in-laws. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Andrew. Just kidding. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, I think that sounds right. I mean, because you got to remember, radio up to this point. I mean, radio up into the fifties was mostly live radio shows, comedies, and a lot of recit- you know recitations of poetry, classical music, some jazz. And then by the by rock and roll and the invention of 45s, oh, yeah. radio changed overnight. I remember seeing the numbers of how many AM radio stations popped up. And then just to add insult to injury, it was bad enough having those rock and roll stations. Then you got the country stations, you know, so. Oh, well, that's right. And then, you know, do you remember, uh, You ever have you ever heard of uh, something called Border Blasters? Did you ever hear about that? No. Okay, so they were radio stations from Mexico and you know, because in, in Canada and the United States, we had limits on the number of watts that a station could use, right? Like, what, 50,000 right. watts or something? I don't know what the limit is. But they, they had these radio stations in Mexico that were called, the nickname for them was Border Blasters. And these things would be like 500,000 watts. And you could reach that signal, supposedly, all the way into uh, northern Canada. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Can you imagine? So there cool. were these rock and roll stations coming out of you know tijuana mexico and other places that would just you could hear them all the way up to northern canada and the the signal was so strong i guess it it caused a lot of problems with wildlife nearby and stuff and that is so cool that is really and and so that makes sense that when that song came out in the 80s mexican radio oh yeah that would be exactly what that's about yeah these stations exactly i never knew that see i never i never i never connected what the song was really about that's very cool yeah they were called border blasters and it's pretty neat i i uh you know a lot of people thought they were american stations but they were actually almost like pirate radio out of mexico I think we need to talk about one of these stations in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should for sure. So now 55, I'd like to, uh, I'm curious, October 12th, 55, the charts would have been a little bit of a mishmash, wouldn't they? Well, the rock and roll hadn't caught on the charts yet. And um, these songs, I'm sure, were available for your Chrysler. Um, this is a very apt title, Ain't That a Shame by Pat Boone. Um, ain't it a shame that he recorded the song? Well, that's right, and uh, ain't it a shame that we destroyed his record <laughs> a little while ago? <laughs> no, that's a good thing. Um, so Pat Boone's at number five with Ain't That a Shame, and I still, oddly enough, I prefer the Fats Domino version. Yeah, I wonder why. Uh, call me crazy. Number four was the Fontaine Sisters with 17. Um, here's a song at number three that you and I were talking about not too long ago, Autumn Leaves by Roger Williams. Oh, yeah. And Four Aces. Uh, love is a many splendid thing at number two. I love that song. Oh, I do too, actually. Yep. It's a great song. It's just wonderful arrangements. And number one was Mitch Miller, Sing Along with Mitch, and Yellow Rose of Texas. But number 14 in the charts, which surprised me. I didn't know it got this high. And the next week it would peak at number 11 was Maybelline by Chuck Berry. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it's it's starting anyway. It's starting. Yeah. Hey, 
Chuck Berry only had one number one song that he performed and wrote. Do you know what it is? Yeah, it was My Dingaling, right? Yeah, sad, right? Isn't that sad? <laughs> like his legacy, all these great songs, but oh My, my Dingaling makes number one. I know. That's... Oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, oh my gosh! Uh, since we said the word dingling, maybe it's time for us to uh, go on our next uh, journey, the next part of this road trip. We're going to uh, stay on October twelfth, but uh, we're going to jump ahead to nineteen seventy eight in New York City. So, are you ready to go? I'm always ready to go to New York City. Yeah, New York in the seventies though worries me a bit, but uh, it's not as cool. Yeah, we might want to. Keep the windows rolled up and doors locked. I agree, and not stop too long at any stop signs <laughs> either. All right, here we go. Hi, this is Tony Stewart from the Wayback Music Machine podcast. Aaron and I really enjoy bringing you a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history with each episode that we release. And we'd like to remind you that there's an easy and free way that you can support the show. All you need to do is find the follow or subscribe button in your favorite podcast player and give it a click. It's that simple. Then you get notified whenever we release a new episode. After you've clicked the button, why not consider sharing our show with a friend or two or post about it on social media? We'd be grateful. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the road trip. All right, here we are, October the 12th, 1978, and we're just outside the Chelsea Hotel in New York City. And why we're here is because Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols just called the police to say that someone had stabbed his girlfriend, Nancy Spongen. He got arrested and he was charged with her murder and uh, placed in a detox unit at a New York prison, but he died uh, not long afterwards of a heroin overdose in the case went to trial before the case went to trial but it was the movie you know that came afterwards right Sid and Nancy that really uh, brought this story even more notoriety with a young Gary Oldman playing Sid Vicious yes and uh, and great performance I uh, I saw the movie I, I thought it was well done especially on his part uh, not not light viewing for sure no, and it's a really tragic story from every angle. Um, the whole pistol story is tragic. But let's take a second and think about the Chelsea Hotel, Tony, because you had, you know, Janis Joplin was there, Cohen, everyone who's anyone stayed at the Chelsea Hotel, the Ramones, right? It's a very famous hotel in New York, like a landmark, right? Mm-hmm. And when Sid was there, it was cheap rent. It was it was just cheap cheap rent and he was really addicted to heroin and he was never a musician he came into the pistols because they kicked out the original bass player glenn matlock because he admitted in an interview that he likes the beatles his real name was simon john Ritchie, and he was named johnny rotten gave him his name he was a really good friend of johnny rotten's and, and rotten called him sid vicious named after johnny rotten's hamster who used to bite him <laughs> which is a great story <laughs> isn't it <laughs> Poor old Johnny. You know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of theories about this thing. That he also attempted suicide by slashing his wrist while he was in jail or in in the hospital for detox, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. And and uh, Sid Vicious was one of those guys. You know, I I think everybody knew he was not going to live to old age. I think he knew as well. I mean, he oh, was, he said as much. 
Yeah, he said as much. You know? So self-destructive, and um, uh, of course, the the movie brought that to uh, to a whole new generation, brought it to their attention. But um, tragic, tragic story. Well, and and the fact there was always a story that his mother gave him the the final heroin, which was always just a story. It wasn't true, but. There is, an ev- there is evidence that it was suicide because his mother stated that she found a note in his jacket um, when he gave her his belongings. And it said, we had a death pact and I have to keep my half of the bargain. Please bury me next to my baby. Bury me in my leather jacket, jeans and motorcycle boots. Goodbye. Again, truth or fact, I don't know. But um, the whole, I was reading, there's a guy named Julian Cope who is in a band called The Teardrop Explodes, and he wrote his autobiography, and he said, I met Nancy Spongin before Sid did, and I thought she was bad news then. I still think she's bad news now, no, <laughs> which is kind of ironic because she's dead. But um, he he was very clear about this woman was not a good influence on any anybody, you know? So. Yeah, and then that, that mixture, right? And then you put her with someone like Sid Vicious who... Uh, has a death wish to start with and and uh, it just did not end well but um, were you a pistols fan i know you you said you went through a, a punk phase in high school were you into the pistols at all or i love the sex pistols okay. and i have full disclosure i have all of their records i even have sid vicious's solo album called sid sings oh wow that's a great album actually um and there's a really i was gonna tell you there's a great clip i don't know if you've ever seen it when sid and nancy are being interviewed and sid drops a cigarette and it catches on he's on fire and nancy says sydney you're on fire <laughs> and he's like oh okay he's patting himself out um yeah i love the pistols I, I saw them in toronto last two times they came um my mother was not allowed I, I wasn't allowed to bring their, their i used to hide them in my room because my mom forbid me to have sex pistols records but i had all their i still do i have all of their albums they only did one proper album called never mind the bollocks and then everything else is kind of compilations and such yeah um, who killed bambi is one of my favorites <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i was a big i was a big fan I, I wasn't a fan of their of i mean johnny rotten was anti-drug he never did drugs or he doesn't still doesn't and he he didn't approve of the whole heroin thing and all the band was into heroin except for johnny rotten um johnny lyden um, so yeah, it's kind of a tragedy, you know. Well, absolutely, but, and heroin has taken down its fair share of uh, musicians, boy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, where do you start? Yeah, no you kidding. Know. Now, this period in '78 though was uh, was also an interesting time in music. Uh, you know, looking at the charts again, wow, what a what a mix here. But what were what were the top five? Did you do uh, album sales this time? I did albums. I did albums in America because I wanted to kind of see what was number, what was big in America. So, number five was the Rolling Stones, and and I know I'm going to get letters on this, but some girls to me was the Stones trying to do punk. Some of the songs on that album were very close to punk, you know. Yeah. Number four was the last two album, "Who Are You," featuring Keith Moon. I mean, they did two albums after, three albums after, but that was the last one featuring Keith. Number three foreigner double vision oh wow yeah number two was boston don't look back and number one is a very heavy 
punk album called Grease soundtrack. <laughs> the Grease soundtrack, yeah. Now, can you can, can I'm going to see how well Tony knows me. Which album of those five do I not own? Oh, let me guess. Gee, uh, let me think on this for a second. I'm guessing number one. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> You're, you'd be right. So I I played in a stage version of Greece, and I like we uh, we used to do uh, the staff at school used to do a little musical every year for the talent show. We'd do a condensed version, and uh, I actually played. Man, this would be about seventeen, eighteen years ago. I played the uh, John Travolta character there. So did you really? Yeah, yeah. Oh well, my god! Any, well, because I'm Italian, right? So. <laughs> is there any footage of it? I hope someone filmed some of it. Oh, I'm sure there's a VHS copy kicking around somewhere. I'll I'll check. But uh, yeah, I was saying and everything. So <laughs> <laughs> I like to hear you do that. I got chills. <laughs> that's very cool. You know what, Tony? I think that's cool. I well, really do. yeah, especially you know my thoughts on musical theater. I mean, it just I do know your thoughts. Makes <laughs> me want to choke on my own vomit there. But uh, oh, I just. Yeah, I get chills thinking about uh, having to listen to musical theater. But uh, you know what? I didn't mind performing in it. It was for the kids after all, right? It's all about the kids, as they say. I'll I tell you a very funny story. Last weekend, I was out walking, and I walked by a house that had a yard sale. I haven't seen a yard sale in ages because of COVID. And uh, I was looking around. I had my mask on and everything. And, and someone said, what are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for music. And the woman goes... I've got over a hundred music books of musical theater. Would you be interested? And I just started laughing, thinking of you. And I thought, maybe I'll buy them all. I'll give them to you for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't, because I couldn't bring myself to pay $50 for a hundred music theater books. (laughs) Well, that's right. You'd be overpaying by $50, you know, so... (laughs) Okay, you know what? Enough trashing of musical theater, I guess, but... uh, what a head ahead. You know, Pat Boone. Pat Boone should have done musical. <laughs> That's right. We're, we're slamming Pat Boone. We're slamming musical theater. But uh, you we're know just what? having fun. We are. We are just having fun. I, I don't hate music theater as much as, no, as that. I just, well, I, I kind of do hate it, but not like, you know, not to the point where I want to stab my eyes out or anything like that. No. Um, but we should uh, do our next leg of the road trip here. We're going to go ahead to October the 15th, 1995. And we're going to be talking about one of the great cartoons on television. Are you ready for this? Oh, I'm always ready. Yeah, I know you're a fan of this show. So am I. So uh, let's do this. Let's do it. Full disclosure, Tony. I'm going to tell you a story before we go into the topic. Because it's connected to the topic. When our first daughter was born, my wife said to me, she is not watching The Simpsons until she's at least 10 years old. Okay, honey, no problem. I'm with you. I used to look after, well, first my first daughter, then both daughters, one day a week. I got, I was on a four-day work schedule. I'd work extra hours. And um, I let her watch The Simpsons. So one day my wife's in the kitchen cooking and I'm flipping around channels. And all of a sudden The Simpsons come on, the clouds. And my daughter, who is maybe one, one in maybe 15 months, screams out, the Simpsons, da 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 da, <laughs> busted. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, so here we are in Los Angeles at the where they make the magic Simpsons. Yeah, what sh- this uh, is still going on, isn't it? Too this show. I I, yeah. I haven't had TV for a while, so I cut the cable about oh eight years ago, I guess. But this is what the longest running animated show for sure. But no, the longest running show. 
oh even longer than something like coronation street yeah it's it's i just started 30 season 32 oh wow that's amazing yeah yeah i, yeah, remember, I just watched I, the first i remember when this was just a sketch on the uh, tracy allman show do you remember those days i 100 percent. i used to love it um there were some there's some of the most memorable episodes of those little ones before and after commercials and then i remember when it was on thursday nights yeah now i'm sure people who are listening are asking well this is a rock and roll history show so why are you guys talking about the simpsons but uh, why are we talking about the simpsons well the, as you know simpsons have always had a lot of famous very famous people you know they've had the stones on tom yeah. petty Lenny kravitz Lots and lots of people. But this is what we're going to talk about is when Paul McCartney came on the show. Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney. They were the guest voices. Now, they were actually the second Beatle to be on the show. The first was Ringo. Um, but Paul and Linda came on called Lisa the Vegetarian. And the stipulation was that they had to keep her, Lisa that is, a vegetarian. And to this day, she's still a vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where that came from then, eh? Was Paul and Linda coming on the show. That's pretty cool, and uh, that that he insisted on that, and that they honored that, and they still do. That's very, very neat. And and Paul, I mean, if you've watched the episode, there's a, there's, a, there's some great lines, like where they're talking about Sergeant Pepper, and Apu says, "You know, I actually came up with that." And Paul's like, oh, "Okay, Apu." <laughs> 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 but yeah, they've had some great guests over the years on that oh, show, haven't they've they? They've had amazing guests. They've had like. George Harrison. They had three of the Beatles on. Harrison was on it too. Uh, amazing. It's almost like a badge um, of honor, eh, for a musician to get uh, get called to uh, do a Simpsons episode. It's funny you say that because I interviewed Randy Bachman, and um, we were talking about everything, and I said, "And you were on the Simpsons," and he said, "You know, Aaron, I've got gold records, Grammys, Junos. I've been on CBC. The biggest honor was on the Simpsons." Oh, I'm not that surprised he said honor. that. I, That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he says, I was a bit insulted with this, and the only thing he ever did was taking care of business. <laughs> but you know, even if uh, the only thing he ever did was taking care of business, he made an awful lot of money off those three chords, didn't he? So. <laughs> Damn straight. Who? I mean, I, I, I mean, there's famous actors have been on the show. Um, politicians have been on the show. Yeah. It's just, it's, it is a badge of honor, I think, to be on the show, to be Simpsonized, right? Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, just uh, Paul and Linda both too. I like I like the fact that they both were on the show as well, not just Paul. And the ending of the show when they do the credits, McCartney remixed "Maybe I'm Amazed," so the song sounds different. But then he added a backward track of him reading a recipe for a rather fetching recipe for a lentil soup, and, if, <laughs> and people have played it backwards, and you can hear him doing the recipe. First, you get some hot water. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? I'm going to have to look up that recording. It's very funny. But I thought it was funny because we talked about the Paul is dead thing. Well, and right. here's McCartney doing a backward recipe. <laughs> well, you know, if I can find that clip, I'll insert it into the show in the final edit. I think that would be Sounds hilarious. Good. Or at least good. part of it, you know, and maybe I'll fade it out or something. But uh, I'm going to have to try to find that. Yeah, I'll look forward to it. If I find it, I'll email it to you, okay? Yeah, that sounds great. So, charts, though, 95 I have a sneaking suspicion. I, if this is album charts, I have a sneaking suspicion that a certain Canadian album is going to be on there. But uh, yeah, one that you like a lot too, oh, right? Yeah, for sure. Number five was uh, Tim McGraw. All I want. Number four. I, I somehow I missed this album, Tony, because I'm, I'm a fan of ACDC, but I somehow missed Ballbreaker. 
Uh, I saw ACDC in Toronto, actually, uh, and uh, what a great show. I bet. I bet. It was at the, uh, back then, I think it was still called, uh, no, it was called, it was still called the Sky Dome back then when I saw them. But uh, I heard that was loud. It was a very loud show. It was great, though. Great show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Angus watching his antics live was, was hilarious, right? Because he always does the, uh, the strip tease there. <laughs> and he must have dragged that out for at least 10 minutes. It was very, very funny. Well, the showman, right? The yeah. showman. Number three was Hootie and the Blowfish, Cracked Rear View. Oh, boy. There's a blast from the past, eh? That, those know. guys were, you know, such a, uh, you know, big, big, big for uh, a short little while. And then he goes on to become a country star, which always, always amazed me. <laughs> I think, I don't think you're the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, as an album I love because Weird Al Yankovic, parodied it so beautifully with Amish uh, what's it called Amish I can't remember the name oh Amish Paradise Amish Paradise <laughs> thank you <laughs> um, what else the original song came on number two album which is Dangerous Mind soundtrack um, The Gangster's Paradise and number one is of course Canada's own Alanis Morissette with you take it away oh, yeah with Jagged Little Pill the album that dominated 1995 what a yeah and 96, I'd go so far as to say. Yeah. It was huge. Uh, huge album. I mean, saying even huge is, is an understatement for this one. It was, uh, you know, but the fact that she switched gears like that and released something like Jagged Little Peel after, you know, being known as a pop princess and with a, an album before that that really didn't go anywhere, did it? No. Um, but, you know, my cousin-in-law, my wife's cousins, saw the play in uh, New York. They said it was really good. Speaking oh. of musical theater, it was good musical theater. Oh, wow. But yeah, one of my favorite albums, and I, I know I've said this before, I didn't like this album when it first came out. Like, do you, Did you like it when it first came out? No. No, no. same, same here. I don't know if I didn't like it because was, it was overplayed or I just didn't like it when I grew to like it. Do you know what I mean? Well, me too. I, I always say that I don't think I was ready as a listener to like it because now I, be. I now I, it's brilliant i i play this album quite often at, right through and um it is it is brilliant and so different when it came out and maybe that's part of the reason i didn't like it at first you know and it's angry i mean it's not it's not it's not easy listening right no yeah it, you have to invest some time and and effort into listening to it but uh i agree but well worth it and uh, a masterpiece, uh, I, I think we can safely say now, in hindsight. I worked backwards. I really liked her song, Thank You, and then kind of worked backwards. So, yeah. All right. Well, this has been a, a really interesting road trip. We've done a little bit of everything and got to talk about The Simpsons. We got to wreck a Pat Boone record. That's um, my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you say we head back to the present and we'll uh, find out what the Beatles were doing? Sounds good. Okay, here we go. Well, now that we're back in the present, you know, I think I'm going to uh, make a stop here before we go home and uh, go to that flea market guy and see if I can get a refund on this turntable. Do you think he'll... Uh, I think you should. Yeah. I wonder if he's even still there. I get the feeling he might be some fly-by-night shady guy, but who knows? I bet on it. <laughs> so we say every week, you know, we always look back at the week that was in rock and roll history. And, you know, really, we could talk about the Beatles every show all the time. So much going on. But uh, 
What were they doing this week in history? Any notables? And I do talk about the Beatles all day. <laughs> um, well, I picked this thing because it's, I, I'll tell you why in a sec, but it's in 1962, October 17th, between their lunchtime and night show at the Cavern, they're actually filmed. On, they go to Granada TV in Manchester, and they make their television debut. And this is just after their first single had just come out on October 5th, Love Me Do. And they appeared live on the show called People and Places, and they performed two songs, Some Other Guy and Love Me Do. The reason I picked this is because their cover version of Some Other Guy, which is an old uh, blues number from the um, from America, Larry Williams, uh, I just love their version of Some Other Guy. I think it's one of the most, it's just pure energy and I dare say, dare say pre-punk punk. I mean, it's just, it's just bursts out at you. And later, Lennon would take the opening three chords and use it for Instant Karma, oh, which I wow. thought was cool. Well, that's a so very he loved cool the song. connection. He loved the song. Well, you know, and I think one thing that people um, forget is, you know, just, just set aside the fame and the notoriety and all that stuff for a second, but the Beatles were a hell of a band. I mean, they spent so many hours polishing their craft, and they were a really, really tight band, you know, to a level that I don't think people had ever seen before. Agreed. And, well, eight hours a night... Eight to ten hours a night for two years, and Hamburg will do that to you, right? Well, that's right, and uh, just really cohesive as a group, and part of the reason I'm sure for their success. I mean, their pers- there's so many reasons for their success. You know, we don't have time to get into that today, but you know, they were a great band, and uh, there, I don't think there'll ever be another one like them, to be honest. No, um, I I know there won't, and. Um, I'm just grateful that Pat Boone never recorded any of the Beatles songs. Oh, thank goodness. Can you imagine? That would be Oh, no, I don't want to imagine. That would be a travesty. But uh you know yes. what? Excellent, <laughs> excellent road trip, my friend, uh, as yeah. always. Fantastic. And I'm going to uh there's the flea market. I'm going to pull over and I'm going to see if I can get a refund on this thing. Wish me luck. Do you want me to come and help? Yeah, I might need some muscle here. So Yeah, uh, come on, I'll come and help. All right, here we go. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks, and we will see you again in your headphones in a couple of weeks because, Aaron, you're going to Los Angeles, aren't you? I am. I'm going to go visit my daughter, Emily, who lives in L.A. Then we're going to go to a place that you and I talked about called Joshua Tree. Oh, that'll be great. She's booked us a little Airbnb in Joshua Tree, and um, I can't wait. I'm so excited. So, yeah. Well, you know what? Let's take next week off then, and we'll be back in two weeks. Have a great trip, my friend. I'll get you something from Joshua Tree, okay? Oh, that'll be awesome. All right, well... Maybe some ashes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you soon, folks. Bye. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denis. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey! Turn the radio up. I love this song.
Wayback Music Machine podcast is a Stewie Tunes production. It's not just business, it's personal. And Signature Theater's new musical, No Place to Go. When dedicated employee George discovers his company is relocating to Mars, he must decide whether to go and uproot his family's life or embark on an unknown venture. Featuring DC star Bobby Smith, No Place to Go is an irreverent and humorous musical with an enterprising twist. Now playing at Signature Theater through October 16th. Get your tickets at SigTheater.org.